Now, George Clooney has been getting a bit stressed here uh, in the recent days, hasn't he? He's usually a guy who's cool, calm and collected, uh, but he's shooting a film on the Thames and he has had an arrangement uh, with the water authorities that he would have a 45-minute slot to, to shoot the film. It's about a boating team of farmers and uh, uh, ship uh, workers who formed a, a rowing team which got to the 1936 Olympics. Uh, and he's been frustrated in his attempts to, to shoot this film at Henley on the Thames uh, because the weather has been good. News has got out that, that he is there with the, the television crews uh, and people have not been obeying this 45 minute of lull uh, which he has to be given uh, to shoot his film. He has the script he has this desire to, to shoot the film, but his efforts are being frustrated. And in our sermon today, we will be able to see that this is like ourselves, like humanity. We have within us God's law written on our very hearts, the text of Scripture says. But we're frustrated. All kinds of things enter our life, our vision. Our aspirations are muddied and, and bent, and we struggle to be the men and women that we were made to be and called to be by our God and Creator. We've been following uh, the argument uh, of the Apostle in Romans chapters 1 uh, to 3. Uh, we've been seeing this long section of the Apostle taking his time to determine the universal sinfulness of humanity. We've been aiming and understanding that he has looked at people without a Bible and without a church. And then he's going to be looking this evening at people who have a Bible and a church. But in between these two polarized positions is the position of the moralist in chapter 2 verse 1 to 16. The kind person, the neighborly friend, the good living, Ulster resident. What about them? What about them now? What about them at the day of judgment? How will they fare? What argument can they legitimately bring forward before Almighty God? I've been tempted to, to speed up uh, the sermons in this section, but been rebuked by the apostle deliberating over this theme of universal sinfulness. He wants us to grasp it, to acknowledge it, to understand it, so fundamental it is to our life and outlook. When I worked in the bank and, and attended uh, classes, I had a professor uh, who would end every lecture with this statement. Do you understand my lecture? Have you any questions? Because we pass this way but once. I probably won't preach another sermon in Newton Ards on Romans 2 verses 12 to 16. Possibly in your lifetime you might never hear another sermon on this part of God's word. And so today, 
We pull our minds together and apply our best to understand with the help of God's Spirit the law written on our hearts, as verse 15 says. The written law then. Secondly, the working law. And thirdly, the weak law. Let's think first of all of the written law, as verse 15 says. The law written on their hearts. What is this law? Jungle Jim and Granny Brown. How much do they know about right and wrong? Your classmates, your neighbours, your cousins. Are their hearts a, a blank slate? Are they morally neutral? Are their heads empty regarding what is right and what is wrong? Verse 15 asserts that God's law is written on their hearts. This law which God in heaven has given of how to live and how to behave, what is right and what is wrong, is written on the hearts of us all. But which laws, you ask? It can't be all the judicial and ceremonial laws and you're right in that assertion. The 365 negative laws and the 248 positive laws, the 613 Old Testament laws cannot be the laws that are being referred to here. So what is being referred to? Surely... It is the Ten Commandments which we read from Exodus 20, the moral law, and especially the second half of the moral law. No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no false witness, no coveting, honouring parents. Most cultures, most people have a sense of these laws of the rightness and wrongness of those actions because the law is written on their hearts. Jungle Jim doesn't have a Bible. Perhaps he cannot even read. Granny Brown doesn't attend church but is livid if her grandchildren lie or steal. Why? How do they have this sense of wrong and of right? It's because, verse 15, God's law has been written on their hearts. Karl Barth and Cranfield, the commentator, argue that this refers to regeneration. That promise in Jeremiah 31 in the New Covenant that God will write his law on our hearts in regeneration. They argue that people without the gospel can be regenerated by God's Spirit. We reject their interpretation, arguing that the context here is proving human sinfulness and the reference is not to regeneration, but it is to creation. God writing his law on our hearts. And so your neighbor, 
who perhaps does not have God's word in their hands. Your colleague who never hears God's word in his house. They have God's word on their hearts. Written. There's something definite about this, isn't there? Something precise about this. Something permanent about this. When we write something down, there's, there's something lasting about that action. There's clarity there and an enduring nature. God's law is a great measure of clarity and endurance is embossed in the hearts of all. But how is it? How is it written there? By virtue of us being made in the image of God. Made in God's image in knowledge and righteousness and holiness. When God made Adam and Eve, he didn't call them in each day for eight hours of lectures to inform them on proper ethics. He made them with his law written on their hearts so that instinctively, naturally, as created in his image, they will know right from wrong. And their descendants, though sin enters, will still at the very base of our beings, Jungle Jim and Granny Brown, have this deep-seated sense that murder is wrong and stealing must be avoided. This is how it is in our society, isn't it? We're witnessing it in this very weak In the 21st century, the the truth, the evidence of this assertion that God's law is written on the hearts of all. Our nation, 40% atheist, 15% agnostic, is condemning the murders in Ukraine because God's law is written on the hearts of all. Our nation is pitying Colleen Rooney as the adultery of her husband is made public because the seventh commandment is written in the hearts of all. Our nation is condemning Russia for stealing areas of Ukraine because the eighth commandment is written on every heart. The UK is disgusted at Vardy's bearing false witness against her neighbour because God's law is written on every heart. Many are questioning what's driving Depp and Amber Heard's court case Is it covetousness? Because God's law is written in our hearts.
the written law. Secondly, the working law. How does this work then? God implanting his law within the hearts of every human being. How does it work? And the apostle deals with this in verses 12 to 16. He says in verse 14 that by nature we do what the law requires. Here's Jungle Jim and he honors his parents. No Bible, no church. Here's Jane the Jew and she honors her parents. Jim has God's law in his heart. Jane has God's law in her hand. They do what the law requires. They have different teachers. Jim in his heart. Jane in her hand. But they both do what the law requires. By nature could refer to the tradition. The culture of Jim and his tribe. That they have traditionally had this respect for those who are older and especially for their parents. So that by nature could be wider. But even in that wider angle of verse 14. It's emerging from the fact that they're made in God's image. And have God's law written on their hearts. And it's, it's coming from this inner sense of what is right and wrong. That God has placed there. But alongside of God's law written on our hearts, verse 15 mentions a second witness, our conscience. This faculty in our soul, this moral compass of our inner being, which approves some of our actions or disapproves of some of our actions which fills us with shame or fills us with pride according to doing right or doing wrong. The conscience, separate from the law, written on our hearts, which looks at that law and then condemns or justifies us according to our conformity or disobedience to it. In the Old Testament, Two witnesses were required to establish the truth of any issue. And God, in creating us, has placed two witnesses within our being, our conscience and his law written on our hearts. That sense of shame or guilt or remorse emanates from our conscience. That sense of satisfaction or approval or of doing right comes from that inner moral compass in our hearts, the conscience. He says it accuses or else excuses us. John Murray says this could refer these conflicting thoughts in verse 15 either to a a body of people who judge and and evaluate our actions, the the elders of a tribe congregating to assess the behavior of a young lad or or a young girl and then come to a decision. They're conflicting thoughts, accusing or excusing the individual. Or it can refer to, to that inner conversation that we have about our behavior. The disapproval or the approval of what we have done. 
conscience is exemplified for us, isn't it? In Shakespeare's play about Macbeth. Macbeth, who who wanted the throne, who wanted the place of power and, and killed Duncan to get that place of power. That Scottish general then became tormented in his mind over what he had done. The conscience, it was reflecting on God's law written on his heart and and accusing him at at times and then excusing him at times. The conscience is is not a, a reliable guide for us, is it? We know this in in times of temptation, don't we? Before the temptation, our mind is is thinking, well, this will be good for me, this will be enjoyable, this will advance me. But if the action is wrong, then after we yield to the temptation, there's all these accusing thoughts. How can our heads at one time, our conscience at one time, condone the action and then immediately after, as Adam and Eve experienced, condemn the action? You might ask of someone, do they not have a conscience? The way they behave, the things they do, the actions they perform, they do have a conscience. But that conscience is playing tricks in their mind. They've so dealt with their conscience, wrestled with their conscience, twisted their conscience, that it's excusing their bad actions. Perhaps Robin Hood never lost a night's sleep, happy to steal from the rich. But he had educated his conscience to justify what he was doing. And so sometimes our conscience accuses us and is doing it rightly, but sometimes our conscience is accusing us wrongly. Sometimes it's excusing us Rightly, but sometimes our conscience is excusing us wrongly. The written law, the working law. But thirdly, the weak law. The whole point of this paragraph is that this law in the hearts of all. Is not enough to save us, but it's enough to condemn us. We can't get forgiveness or salvation through it, but it condemns us for our sin. Verse 13 the apostle asserts that the doers of the law will be justified by God. And we've been learning that when Paul uses this phrase, doers of the law, he's not talking about 51% or 99%. He's talking about 100%. Those who do the law perfectly, completely, always, every jot and tittle of the law, they will be declared righteous by God. You don't get an A star for 89%. You need to get 90%. We don't get justified by God for 99%. By God for 99%, it's got to be 100%. And none of us, certainly none of us here, 
can achieve that. And what a state that brings us into, he says in verse 12. They will perish without the law of God written. Even without a Bible, without a church. Because we have God's law on our hearts and we break that law. We will perish. What a word that is. A word to allow hanging in our mind. A word which used in, in, in scripture of the eternal torment of unbelievers. A word to which doesn't describe annihilation but which describes a, a degenerating ruin. Top riders at the Northwest 200 couldn't complete the last races because their tires were perishing. They weren't stolen. They didn't disappear. They were degenerating. And so those who end up at the judgment outside of Christ will perish. They will increasingly grow worse in the outer darkness forever. But verse 16 says, my gospel and Jesus Christ. Why is that verse there? It's odd. It seems unusual. It seems it's disjointed in the flow and argument of the apostle. Calvin thinks it's enlarging on verse 15, the accusing and excusing. God will do it right at the judgment. But isn't there another reason? Here is light. Here is hope. Here is salvation. The ladder for the lost. The life belt for the drowning. Jesus Christ. My gospel. Through him. Is salvation. Through him there is hope. Through him there is salvation. In the book of Lamentations, not read often by us, that book of mourning and loss and darkness and exile, at the very heart of that book, in the middle verses of that book, there's a wonderful assertion that God's mercies are new every morning. So at the center of this piece of the apostle on universal sinfulness, he's mentioning my gospel. Jesus Christ. All will be well, he's saying, when we turn up at the judgment and our friend, our saviour, our righteousness is the one who will judge us. So we all have God's law in our hearts. We all have God's law in our hands. We all hear God's law and word in our church house. But despite this, we cannot keep it. We do not keep it. Some of our sins are known to one another. Many of our sins are secret, but at the last day, verse 16 says, our secret sins will be judged. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ, the one who provides righteousness for us.
the written law, the working law, the weak law. You're sitting there and you're saying to me, I've had enough of this navel-gazing, this self-scrutiny, this introspection. I need to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. We see him just right in this verse. The law written on the heart. Psalm 40 verse 8, we have Jesus speaking to his father. He says, I desire to do your will. Your law is in my heart. That verse assures us that Jesus is human. God has put his law in the hearts of all human beings. Jesus is saying, your law is in my heart. So we conclude he is human. But he's human in our place. We often have a disconnect between our love and our life. We all have a a long list of things which begin, I would love to parachute someday, go to Vietnam, be able to cook scones, fit into that wedding suit that hangs in my wardrobe. I would love to, but there's a disconnect between our love and our life. But not with Jesus. Your law is within my heart. He loved God's law and he lived God's law. And that's where our salvation is. That as we trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his righteousness covers over us and his law keeping covers over the imperfections of our law breaking. That the final judgment, he'll be there to cover us and bring us in to his everlasting presence.